Hello and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on tech disruption and how it is driving their decision making and strategy. My name is Sunil Rajgopal, software analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence and independent equity research arm at Bloomberg. And I have with me Ashutosh Kulkarni, CEO at Elastic, a software platform that helps retrieve relevant information amid the huge enterprise data pile and also offers solution to monitor health of enterprise-wide digital assets. Ashutosh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here, Sunil. Appreciate it. A lot is likely to shift in the enterprise search entry of large language models, retrieval augmented generation and vector search. And I'm keen to get your thoughts on all of this. But uh, maybe to start, can you talk about your journey from data management world, starting from Informatica to the more complex world of search and observability and into Elastic? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I've been in uh, the space of data analytics and security uh, for close to 20 years now. I uh, started my career about 25 years ago and got into uh, data and analytics pretty early. Um, like you mentioned, Informatica was all about data integration. Uh, and the complexity of data that we dealt with then was relatively uh, lower. It was uh, structured information that needed to be brought together from different data sources. But some of the problems have remained the same. You know, data volumes have continued to explode. Uh, the, uh, the intelligence that uh, users are seeking to derive from data um, is growing. And the complexity of the data over the years and just the scale has been growing exponentially. So my journey has been one of trying to follow the, the uh, you know, the art of the possible uh, in data and trying to figure out how you know, I can be involved in helping our customers, uh, helping developers, really get most out of the information that's at their fingertips. And Elastic was uh, a, a technology that I used in two prior roles, two prior companies before I came to Elastic. So I was well-versed with just the power of search. I've been a big believer in the fact that letting the system, letting the machine uh, help you uncover what's relevant within your data is a fantastic approach um, to data analytics and, and querying and uh, exploring data. You know, this worked really well for the World Wide Web uh, with uh, search engines like Google, and it works incredibly well for business data uh, with technologies like Elasticsearch from Elastic. Um, and since then, it's been a wonderful journey of just trying to expand the, uh, the capabilities of our platform to help our customers do more with unstructured information whether it's uh, you know machine-generated logs uh, or Word documents or PDFs or images, graphs, videos, etc., uh, and that's what we're doing here. From your experience, what distinctions would you draw between, say, a platform like Informatica and that of Elastic? You know, Informatica was really designed for um, extracting information from enterprise systems that are pretty structured. So for example, if you want to create a, a single record um, of your customer master, the data is going to start from your CRM systems, it's going to start from your ERP systems, 
that have a very well-structured schema. Um, you extract that data, bring that into a data warehouse, and then analyze it for traditional BI purposes, reporting, et cetera. Uh, when you think about Elastic, think about unstructured data. We are all about messy, unstructured information, you know, large, you know, we have tens of thousands of customers, um, everybody from Walmart to Comcast to uh, Wells Fargo, uh, you know, just major government organizations around the world. Uh, and what they often use us for is pulling together unstructured information, uh, the kinds I mentioned earlier, whether it's uh, logs, whether it's, um, you know, uh, Word documents, PDFs, images, etc that can't fit into a traditional database. And they use us to pull that data, index it, make it all searchable, and then help them get relevant insights. And those could be anything from um, you know, connecting driver with rider. So you're trying to map geolocation and say, you know, which is the best uh, driver to connect this rider with? Uh, or you know, what is the, the right uh, product in an e-commerce system that the user might uh, really be looking for, uh, or in the case of observability, you know, looking through massive amounts of logs to say what could be causing a particular slowdown uh, in an application, or in cybersecurity, trying to look for that needle in the haystack, that specific signal that indicates that maybe an account has been compromised, uh, or maybe there has been some. Uh, malware um, infiltration that is now trying to, you know, cause some disruption within your IT systems. So we are all about that unstructured data and real-time querying and search. Uh, you know, it's all about that as opposed to the traditional world of data warehousing, which today, you know, you have technologies, other technologies that do that well, but we focus on unstructured and that's really where uh, we have a, a strong leadership presence. From what I understand, once the, we have the Elastic uh, platform installed, all the enterprise data gets indexed, and then we apply functions like text search or semantic search or vector search, and then there are new forms of or new terms that are coming up uh, in the technology space, such as transformers, foundational models, and then retrieval augmented generation. So how does all this stack up? Yeah, so when you think about search, it's exactly uh, like you started your sentence with, you know, it's all about bringing in all of your unstructured information, your semi-structured information into Elastic. We ingest it at high scale. We make it all searchable by indexing it. Uh, then we uh, allow, you know, different techniques for you to search across that data. Now, in the traditional world of, of text, let's say you were ingesting log files or you were ingesting Word documents, you know, the, the typical searches that people would do would be textual searches. And the algorithm that was used, uh, was most prevalent, was uh, the BM25 algorithm. Uh, and that allowed you to look for, you know, patterns of text within you know, large amounts of uh, information. Uh, and you know, some examples of that would be e-commerce search, right? So you've got... Um, let's say you are a e-commerce company and you have millions of products uh, and I come on your website and I'm looking for a, um, a particular drill bit uh, or I'm looking for a particular uh, type of shirt 
uh, and matching my query to the descriptions of all the millions of products that you have in your inventory very quickly using textual search and then retrieving what's, what's most relevant. You know, that is how traditional search used to work. Now, over the years, with the advent of machine learning and AI models, what has happened is that systems have become much more sophisticated and capable of taking other forms of data and converting them into what are uh, often referred to as vector embeddings. Um, so you run uh, whatever data you might be interested in uh, searching across. It could be all forms of text. It could be images. Uh, it could be videos and so on and so forth. And turn it into a vector representation, just a mathematical representation uh, after running it through these embedding models. Um, and what happens then is using a technique called vector search, you can look for similarities for the query that you are interested in. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you take a, um, a million images um, and you vectorize them. And then you want to look for all images that have kittens in them. Uh, and that could be, uh, you know, accomplished by uh, first, uh, you know, understanding what are the types of characteristics of the vectors that tend to have kittens in them, and then using that to do a similarity search against that set of millions of vectors that you have created by scanning all your million images. Now, that opens up a completely new set of use cases, as you can imagine. So think about a uh, insurance company that wants to very quickly look across all of the um, you know, uh, buildings that it has insured uh, and quickly search for you know, the uh, properties that it has insured that might be at risk from an incoming hurricane because they all have shingled roofs. Now, that kind of query would have typically taken somebody manually sifting through images, looking at images. Now you can have the machine do that kind of query for you and very quickly um, allow you to see the results. And that's how vectors and vector processing comes in. And then the last piece to all of this is um, large language models. And large language models are foundation models um, as they're often referred to. Uh, large language models are a class of foundation models. Uh, and you know, GPT, uh, GPT 3.5, GPT 4, the uh, Gemini model from Google, Bedrock uh, from AWS and so on. These are all large language models. They are models that are able to um, generate you know, responses for you because they effectively think about what's the right next word and then the next word and the next word and create sentences to respond to a particular query. The problem uh, with these large language models is they're all uh, trained on publicly available information. And because they are trained only on publicly available information, let's say you are a e-commerce shop, you know, these large language models have no idea about the specific product inventory that you have. Um, so in other words, they don't understand your business context. So for you to use these large language models to build uh, applications that are relevant to your business, you have to somehow ground these large language models or anchor them by providing them the context in real time from all your proprietary business data and effectively tell the large language model, only answer this question based on this information that I'm giving you. 
Uh, and that is what retrieval augmented generation means. And that's where we come in. So we provide that foundation for vector search and retrieval augmented generation to allow businesses to now build generative AI applications using large language models. Great. I would love to touch more on that, but maybe to digress a little bit, you have talked about some big names like Walmart, Uber, Netflix, and Wells Fargo using your platform. Can you illustrate or give an example of how they are using your technology today? The technology use cases are very broad because, like I mentioned, we're all about unstructured data and enabling uh, our users to get real-time insights from that unstructured data. So just as an example, uh, you know, uh, Wells Fargo uses us um, to get better observability insights uh, into their mobile applications. So they use us to track how their uh, mobile applications are performing. Uh, you know, these are often used by their most important clients and they want to make sure that the performance is exceptional because the last thing you want is uh, a slow performing application when you're trying to look for, you know, your bank balance or anything along those lines. So we are the observability platform that helps them track that and ensure that they're getting the best possible service to their users. Uh, other customers like uh, Walmart use us for, um, you know, ensuring cybersecurity. They uh, pull in uh, literally, you know, billions of data points uh, across logs and other sources of information to quickly sift through anomalies and look for uh, potential threats within their environment. Uh, you know, uh, Uber uses us to map rider with driver. Uh, you know, if you are uh, uh, looking for an Uber ride, you are, you know, potentially standing in some location or waiting for a ride in some location. And that is associated with a uh, geospatial uh, location on a map. And then you have drivers that are zooming all around you uh, on a particular vector and then mapping based on where they are headed, the proximity, that kind of uh, search is called a geosearch, geolocation search. So these are just examples that uh, you know span the, the gamut of data types, uh, whether it's uh, logs, whether it's documents, whether it's graphs and maps uh, and different use cases. And in that sense, we are used by you know, major uh, Fortune 500 companies, um, and we today have uh, you know over 20,000 customers around the world uh, that use us for all of these different use cases, from search to observability to security. The IT spend tide has seen a lot of variation in the last uh, two quarters or three quarters. Some have one big, some have lost. Some are seeing a reacceleration. Some are still on a deceleration path. Glancing at your recent quarter, you certainly seem to be on the positive side. What were the big drivers there, and what contributed to your success? Yeah, so Sunil, you know, as I think about the conversations that I'm having with CIOs and the discussions that I'm having with uh, business buyers today, uh, the environment is is one where uh, IT budgets are still quite challenged, and uh, you know CIOs are uh, expecting flattish budgets uh, as they think about what to expect for the coming year. Um, and then on top of that, you know there is a lot of pressure from them uh, on them to build and support some of these generative AI applications that their businesses 
are pushing them to build uh, for use cases like customer support, um, you know, better customer experience, et cetera. So it's a bit of a double whammy. You know, how do you uh, create budget for some of these Gen AI use cases while at the same time managing to a flattish budget? Uh, and that's the pattern that we've been seeing now for a couple of quarters. And our approach to this has been to lean in and talk to customers about how we can not only support them and help them uh, build these generative AI applications because we uh, are experts at that, but also uh, to help them reduce their overall spend by consolidating onto the Elastic platform for use cases like observability and security um, onto Elastic Cloud, which is our cloud-based service that helps you do that. And uh, you know, with that, we've been seeing momentum in three areas. So the first has been uh, generative AI. Um, in uh, our first uh, Q1 fiscal quarter, uh, we saw hundreds of customers starting to use us for generative AI use cases. Uh, in our most recent quarter, which was our Q2, we saw hundreds more. Um, so we are seeing good momentum, and we are quite excited about you know the potential, uh, the long-term potential with generative AI. Um, the second trend that we saw was, um, you know, more and more customers consolidating onto our platform. You know, I talked about a, a very significant uh, eight-figure transaction that we did uh, where uh, it was a, a new logo win for us uh, where a customer displaced an incumbent uh, SIM security solution uh, and moved on to the Elastic platform uh, because of both the innovation that we deliver and also the value proposition of being able to consolidate and, and act as a platform. Um, and then the third major trend that we saw was cloud optimization stabilized. So whereas about a year ago, a lot of customers were trying to really figure out how they could uh, optimize their cloud spend, you know, we saw that uh, customers have generally done all the optimization that they uh, want to do, and they are in a place, they, they feel like they're in a good place now. So now it's, uh, it's you know, we are seeing stability in that. And with all of these three factors, uh, you know, as you saw, we, we uh, delivered good results, both on the top line and on the bottom line. Building on what you just said, if I were to put on a long-term investor hat, I would be keen to get into your brains and understand Elastic's product roadmap on a one to three year basis and also looking forward from a three to five year horizon. What are your thoughts on that? That's a wonderful question, Sunil. And when I think about our long-term opportunity, look, the, uh, the unstructured data and the need for real-time analytics uh, is something that you know, is only growing in need uh, and scale. And we see our long-term opportunity as being immense. The market, uh, the total addressable market is very large. Um, and we see the opportunity for us to build a multi-billion dollar company over time. Um, and the, the three areas that we play in, observability, security, and search, and especially in this era of generative AI, we believe gives us a wonderful place um, to build upon and continue to grow in. Um, in terms of the the product focus areas for us, you know, I uh, am convinced that generative AI is going to only grow in its um, importance. It is a major shift that we are seeing in the IT landscape. 
just like we saw prior shifts in the past, whether it be around mobile computing uh, or cloud computing, what AI is, is enabling is new use cases that just weren't possible in the past. The image search example that I gave, you know, semantic search, which is all about uh, searching based on the meaning of uh, uh, words as opposed to just the, the text. These are unlocking use cases that are just going to be so powerful uh, and exciting. And just in the areas of search, observability, and security, we see the ability to continue to build our business and become a multi-billion dollar business over the next three years. So in that time frame, you should expect us to do more in the area of generative AI. You should expect us to do more in the area of security, especially in SIM and how we expand from there. And in observability uh, with uh, open telemetry uh, through our focus on uh, you know, open source-based technologies and open platforms, you know, we are definitely going to be a key player in these three areas. Beyond that, you know, I believe that the platform flexibility um, of Elastic gives us the ability to play in additional use cases even. Uh, and customers in some small environments use us today for things like risk analytics uh, and other use cases that we haven't even fully tapped just because we don't want to distract ourselves from our core. But when I look beyond and say, what does Elastic look like five to 10 years from now? You know, we will be a core part of every IT infrastructure stack given our popularity and given our capabilities in unstructured data, which to me is the biggest part of the overall data landscape and growing the fastest in all industries. Just mentioned about uh, open source. And uh, what I see over the last one year or maybe 18 months is that there has been a lot of switch between open source licensing to open core licensing or open source to business source licensing. What should be our take from this shift and how does this impact uh, Elasticsearch? Yeah, that's uh, that's something that, you know, we've always been uh, very thoughtful about. And as you know, Elastic started with the creation of the Elasticsearch project many years ago, over a decade ago. It is uh, one of the most popular data platforms out there. We've had over four and a half billion downloads of our technology. And we've always remained true to our beliefs that it is important to be an open platform. And for that reason, uh, all the development that we do is uh, it's source open. Um, and our core, as you, as you rightly pointed out, uh, you know, started in, in open source. Uh, even today, um, everything that we do, we believe we describe it as open source, our Elastic uh, V2 license, which governs uh, all of the, the development work and the technology that we build, uh, is such that it is very permissive. It allows people to expand on it, build on it. Um, and you know, the only thing that we wanted to be careful of was to make sure that uh, you know, nobody takes all the work that we're doing and without contributing to it, without you know making it better, adding to it, just takes advantage of it to compete directly with us. Because that then becomes a problem for organizations to truly you know, invest and continue to grow um, and benefit from all the work that you're doing. And that would be 
bad in the long term for open source, we believe. So the, the trend that's happened in the last few years uh, in, in some sense was inevitable, but I believe we've reached a place where now you're seeing a sense of equilibrium where open source projects are continuing to grow, but there is a template for how um, you know, entrepreneurs uh, can build companies in open source and still benefit from all the work that they're doing commercially. So it seems like we've reached a good equilibrium that uh, I hope is going to allow this wonderful movement to continue for many decades to come. Again, uh, piggybacking on your last uh, comments about AI, there, there is a big question about the productivity gains from AI. Anything that you can quantify today on what kind of productivity gains you are seeing internally and what should be your customers ex- expect? Both internally and externally, we've seen some wonderful use cases. So internally, um, our customer support team has built their own generative AI app um, using our technology, using our Elasticsearch relevance engine. And they've used it um, to enable our support engineers to more quickly um, get the answers that they need to respond to a particular question that they might be getting live uh, from our users, our customers. Uh, similarly, you know, one of our customers, Cisco, has done something similar uh, where they have built a generative AI application using Elastic's technology um, to provide better capabilities to their support engineers. And they have talked publicly about this uh, at uh, the uh, Google Cloud Next event um, a few months ago where they co-presented with us and talked about the efficiency gains. And oftentimes the efficiency gain is in two forms. Uh, One, Sunil, is that it improves your customer experience because now instead of waiting for a few minutes to get the answer, you're able to get the answer in tens of seconds uh, because that information is more quickly available to the support engineer at their fingertips. Uh, And second, because of that, you uh, can do the, you can scale with fewer people. Uh, which is, again, something that Cisco talked about in their uh, use case. But it's not just about customer support. You know, I expect that these kinds of capabilities will be relevant for marketing um, to create, you know, content and demand generation uh, emails and so on for sales uh, in how they can do outreach and and better targeting of individuals uh, for, you know, uh, asset managers and financial services where they might be able to summarize news um, and provide you know insights to their clients in uh, a more cogent fashion it's going to affect and improve efficiency in so many different business processes around every industry and that's what's really exciting about um, ai and generative ai in particular when we talk about ai there is one more area that is getting a lot of attention these days which is regulation regulation remains a key topic for anyone working on AI strategy today. And uh, EU seems to be spearheading guardrails or rules around it. What are your thoughts on that? And how would stricter regulation on AI impact your business? Sudhim, one of the most uh, uh, biggest concerns that uh, regulators have about AI is its ability to uh, hallucinate and create content 
that might not be valid or could be you know incredibly biased and that is a genuine concern um, and that is exactly the concern that all businesses face when they consider using large language models uh, and you know put them in front of their users uh, and really the the way that that situation can be best addressed is through grounding of that large language model in other words providing that large language model with a specific context and saying only respond to this question using you know these set of documents using the information that's in these documents and that is you know it's like telling someone hey uh, when you get this question don't look at all your knowledge base but make sure that your your response is biased based on you know these three documents that i'm giving you right now and that mechanism massively reduces the potential for a large language model to hallucinate um, businesses find that to be incredibly useful and even when you think about regulators you know they think of this as a very good way to approach the problem because now you have effectively an ability to track and say where exactly did this response come from what were the sources of this uh, response and you can point to those documents that is retrieval augmented generation that is precisely what elastic does uh, and so from our perspective you know some of what's happening in the industry in terms of you know thoughtful regulations that um, are appropriately guiding the the work such that you don't have um, hallucinations going wild is not a bad thing it's a, it's a good thing and our customers are honestly looking for um, something that allows them to reduce hallucinations and that is driving a, a big part of uh, the excitement for elastic right maybe we can take next few minutes to talk a little bit about market development and your mna strategy can you touch a bit on what is happening in the open source led competition and what has changed in your approach to that and how do you see the relationship uh, evolve with aws given they they have their own competing offerings there so our relationship with aws is incredibly strong you know this year we were a, a diamond sponsor at reinvent we had a uh, which is their uh, worldwide conference uh, that happens in november uh we had a tremendous booth presence um and uh, it was wonderful to see we had you know literally uh, thousands of customers that came by our booth and uh, we do a lot of business together with aws uh, today because as you can imagine you know aws is a massive organization and what they care most about is to make sure that they have a thriving ecosystem uh, of partners like elastic that runs on aws um, and that the workloads the customer workloads stay on aws as opposed to you know moving to microsoft azure uh, or google cloud like that's really what aws cares most about uh, and in the grand scheme of things like they see tremendous value in partnering with us because our customers see the clear difference between elastic and elastic search uh, and you know technologies like open search from aws Uh, and there is such a significant chasm in terms of uh, our capabilities and the advances that we have made in areas like generative ai uh, in areas like observability and security 
um, in areas like our uh, ESQL query language, etc., uh, that customers actively seek Elasticsearch. Uh, and AWS works very closely with us to make sure that um, our joint customers have those workloads running on Elastic Cloud on AWS. So from that perspective, you know, the relationship has come a long way and it's in a wonderful place and I only see it getting better from here. To the broader question of just the market dynamics and how we think about our M&A strategies, Neil, you know, we have always been very thoughtful about building our platform in such a way that uh, it is fully vertically integrated. All the data that comes into our platform goes into Elasticsearch. Uh, we have one single technology called Kibana that does all the visualization. Uh, all the machine learning and AI runs natively on Elasticsearch. Uh, and our security and observability solutions are built natively into this platform because of which the overall you know, operating overhead is incredibly low. Uh, and that gives us the ability to also have a wonderful land and expand motion with our customers, where customers might start with, say, a search use case uh, and then evolve to using us for observability and over time use us for security. And we, you know, we become a greater and greater part of their overall IT infrastructure. Um, deployment and, and spend. Um, and for that to be successful, that vertically integrated strategy is key. So that plays a big role. That principle plays a big role in how we think about MA. Because when we think about uh, you know, MA, uh, anything inorganic, we want to make sure that whatever we do, whatever we acquire, uh, fits in very nicely into our stack and be fully integrated into the Elastic stack and makes it easy for customers to use those new capabilities uh, without, uh, without you know, learning new technologies, without having to install a new platform or, or what have you. Uh, and so we don't buy revenue. We are always um, doing you know, technology tuck-ins that allow us to bring our future forward. Right. Maybe one question on the profitability dynamics. You've rolled out... Uh headcount rebalance measure very recently. Do you think you are now at an optimum level in terms of your headcount and where the company is headed? Sunil, we are still very early in our uh, growth journey um, and we see a long path ahead of us to continue to grow and become a uh, multi-billion dollar company. Uh, and so we continue to invest very thoughtfully in areas that we see an opportunity for growth in. And that includes everything from R&D to sales and marketing. Uh, but we are very thoughtful and focused on where we invest. So, you know, in the past, we used to uh, approach the uh, SMB, the small and medium business segment, uh, with a sales-led motion. Uh, and last year, we made a decision that we would only target that segment using our self-service Elastic Cloud technology. So a completely you know, self-service-led uh, motion and only have <clears throat> the sales teams focus on the enterprise and commercial segments of the market. Uh, and in those segments, we have been continuing to invest in sales and marketing capacity. <clears throat> so that motion and that momentum will continue. Uh, and we feel that uh, we will be able to continue growing our top line 
but growing our expenses slower than our top line. So the inherent leverage in the business will allow us to both grow our uh, our total revenue, but also become more profitable as we go from year to year. Right. Maybe it's a good point to talk about uh, a big picture as a CEO. What's your guiding philosophy or approach when it comes to leadership? Uh, a, that's a wonderful question. Um, you know, there are a few principles that I believe very strongly in Sunil. Um, you know, first, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, transparency. It's, it's very important to create a culture where everyone uh, feels that they have the ability to contribute to their, their best potential, uh, creating a culture where people are open in communicating with each other, in trying experiments and not being uh, you know, scared of failing. Uh, that kind of a culture, a very transparent culture, uh, I believe is extremely important, especially in our fast-growing uh, technology industry. You know the the second principle that I that I'm a big believer in is uh, uh, betting on uh, you know innovations and our our ability uh, to achieve things that we might not have thought possible um, by big, making some big bets and this is where like this uh, this notion of being always curious and trying to to take some interesting swings but being being prepared to fail fast comes in. Um, and so we do a lot of experimentation within the company. We are constantly trying to improve, you know, different processes, different, uh, you know, product categories, et cetera. Uh, and we do it by biasing our efforts on big technology swings. Like Generative AI was a perfect example of that. You know, we started seeing the potential of transformers uh, almost five years ago and started building out our vector search functionality you know, over four years ago, well before, uh, you know, ChatGPT became a thing. And so when ChatGPT came out, we were ready for it because we had done a lot of this experimentation. We had always been, you know, betting on what's the next big technology swing that can have a, a disproportionate impact on, on what technology can do. And so that's a, that's a second, you know, big uh, area that I personally focus a lot on. Um, and then I'd say the the last thing that uh, I personally care a lot about is leading with conviction as opposed to leading with fear. Um, you know, if you believe in the market opportunity and you believe in your team, um, then you know everything that you do should be uh, driven by conviction and not by fear of you know what could go wrong. Uh, and if you take that approach, then you know, I, in my experience, you tend to bring the best out in everybody, including in yourself, uh, and then you're able to achieve things that uh, no one thought were possible. So those are principles I, I try and live by, and uh, we have a pretty amazing source code within the company, uh, what we call our source code, you know, the set of values that uh, we aspire to. And if you get a chance, I'd encourage you to check it out. It's, uh, it's something that our founder, Shai Bannon, uh, penned several years ago. And uh, it is a wonderful set of guiding principles for us as a team. Before we get into our last section, uh, from what you just said, I am quite inquis inquisitive about asking you, let's say we catch up after five years from today. 
what scale would have Elastic achieved then, both in terms of revenues and profitability? Ah, uh, you know, we have a total addressable market in the tens of billions, and we are merely scratching the surface at this point. Uh, you know, we have told the street uh, that we are going to end this fiscal year uh, north of uh, 1.25 billion in revenue. But if you look at some of the incumbents today that came before us, uh, you know, you can see that Elastic easily has the ability to become a multi-billion dollar company. So, you know, if you, when you and I catch up five years from now, uh, you know, I would, uh, uh, I would want to see Elastic being a multi-billion dollar company um, at scale, profitable, uh, but continuing to drive innovation at the same frenetic pace that we always have and always being as customer-centric as we are today. Um, so our, our future is not market-limited. Uh, it is up to us to continue to execute and you know, build ourselves into our true potential. Great. With that, we come to our last section, which I call as final three. Your answers can be one-liners on this. So my first question here is, what are the three areas of technology that any technology enthusiast should keep an eye on apart from Gen AI? Ah, apart from Gen AI, um, let's see. Personally, I am very excited about uh, what's happening with self-driving cars. Um, you know, that's an area that I pay a lot of attention to. Um, because I do believe that sometime in the future, in the not too distant future, we will be uh, we will be uh, seeing the advent of those in a much more uh, broad way. Um, the second is, uh, you know, the democratization of um, communications for everyone. I don't know if it is low orbit uh, satellites that make that possible, but uh, or balloons or whatnot, but uh, that's an area where I'm personally very excited about. Um, and then the the third area that you know I uh, I'm quite interested in is around food technology, because as we uh, as the planet and the population continues to grow, you know I feel that uh, effective food technology that allows us even in the face of conflicts around the world. Um, to create enough nourishment for you know all the the billions of citizens um, is going to be something that will drive a lot of innovation, a lot of investment, and a lot of excitement. So those would be my top three. Great. So my second question here is: What is the one piece of technology that worries you, or you think is not yet addressed well by the market? You know, when I, uh, as exciting as uh, AI is, you know, I think AI is still in its infancy. There is a long ways to go for us to recognize the full potential because today, you know, we often talk a lot about generative AI, just this ability to create, um, you know, conversations and create conversational apps. Uh, and that's a class of AI that is gaining a lot of popularity. But having machines do more than that is, I think, definitely something that we will see in the in the coming years. And there's a lot that we're going to have to navigate as we go through it. Lots of questions around ethics, lots of questions around 
you know, the ability for us to ensure, um, you know, what uh, what makes sense from a legal perspective, from a business perspective, uh, but also a ethical and moral perspective. And I think that's where, uh, you know, when I look ahead in the coming years, I personally believe that uh, there is a lot of work that we're going to have to do. So we don't end up making some of the same mistakes that we made in the early years of the internet that uh, you know many many folks regret today um, in how there are some bad practices and bad things that happen on the internet facilitated by the internet and i i really you know uh, do feel that this is going to be an area of active governance but also active government industry collaboration in the coming years Right. With that, uh, we come to our final question. What technology book would you recommend anyone to read today? Maybe one or two books. Technology books. That's a that's a fascinating question. I have to tell you that uh, I personally am a uh, person who is much more biased towards podcasts these days than than books. Uh, you know, I listen to podcasts. Uh, uh, religiously, I listen to uh, you know the Tech Disruptors podcast, but I also listen to several other podcasts. Uh, Strategy is one that I'm uh, uh, a fan of. I listen to Pivot, um, but uh, Hard Fork by the New York Times. But these days, uh, you know, I, I spend more time listening to podcasts when I'm on my run uh, more than reading books, just given the the time that I have and. You know, those would be a few of the podcasts that I would recommend, uh, including yours. So uh, hopefully that's a, that's an answer that will suffice this time, Sunil. Great, Ashutosha. It's been a wonderful discussion with you and you've shared a lot of insights uh, right from the observability, observability space, search space and uh, AI. And I think this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you very much for 